Uh, good morning, everybody. My name is Emily Skoglin, and I'm the small groups coordinator here at the JAR. And um, that guy back there doing all the sound stuff is my husband, Mikey. And together we have an adorable little three-year-old girl named Autumn. I think we have a picture of her. Maybe there she is. And uh, one of Autumn's favorite movies is a movie called Zootopia. I don't know if any of you have seen it, um, but it is just one of her all-time favorites. And if you're the parent of a preschooler, then you know that if your preschooler has a favorite movie, that means you get to watch it over and over and over until you just want to drive a screwdriver through your eyes, right? So uh, needless to say, I have seen Zootopia many times. And there's this one scene in Zootopia that I just can't stand. I mean, it makes my skin crawl. I hate to watch it. So I thought I would share that wonderful experience with all of you today. And I want you to take a look at this clip. Well, I can't stand to watch that scene because confession time, I am not a very patient person. Actually, uh, when I told my husband I was going to be teaching on patience today, my sweet, loving, supportive husband laughed in my face. (laughs) I'm just not that patient. Uh, Just to give you an example, um, I frequently burn my mouth on food because I can't wait for it to cool down. I I take baths in about an inch of water because I'm too impatient to let the bath fill up. And uh, I don't think my husband has ever gotten a present on his birthday because I can never wait for his birthday to give it to him. I'm just not that patient. Waiting is not my thing. And, you know, I think we all struggle with impatience sometimes. You know, whether it's driving behind that really slow driver on the highway or waiting in the long grocery line, right, or when your five-year-old just insists on tying their own shoes, when you're already five minutes late for work, right? We all struggle with impatience in little ways. So I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them, what is it that really tries your patience? Okay, how many of you said the person I'm talking to right now (laughs) really drives my patience? Yeah, so we all experience impatience on a daily basis, right? But what about the big things? What about those things that require you to be patient for weeks, for months, for maybe even years? What about the degree or the promotion that never seems to come? What about the financial breakthrough? What about healing for the illness that you're facing or the spouse that you're waiting for or the child that you long to have? What about those things that it seems like there could never be enough patience in the world? So what do we do while we're waiting? Waiting for those things that seem distant, that seem unreachable, maybe even impossible. Well, you know, waiting isn't always bad. I mean, I can probably guess that most of you are going to spend tonight waiting. In fact, you're probably going to get all dressed up and go to a party and put on party hats and eat a bunch of food and drinks and just wait. And then you're all going to stare at a TV screen at this giant ball and just wait for it to drop. And you're all just going to have so much fun waiting, right? So why is it so fun and enjoyable to wait on New Year's Eve? Well, I think it's because we know what we're waiting for. We're waiting for the new year, and we know that it's going to happen. I mean, it's not like you're all sitting here filled with anxiety thinking, 
but what if 2018 never comes? I mean, what if we get to midnight and the ball drops and then we're just like stuck on December 31st, 2017 for the rest of our lives? No, that's ridiculous. None of you are thinking that, right? Because you know the new year is going to come. But in other areas of our life, it's not always that easy to be so confident. And so many times we don't enjoy the waiting room. Instead of enjoying it, our tendency is to do something else. And I think what you can see that in is an experience that we all have sometimes, which is going to a waiting room. How many of you have been in a waiting room in the last couple of months? Yeah. Yep. And you wait and wait and wait. And what was the general attitude or demeanor of the people in that waiting room, would you say? Bored, frustrated, irritated, annoyed, right? They really didn't want to be there, really didn't want to be waiting. And I'm guessing you probably heard some mumbles of complaint, right? Well, I want to tell you a story about a guy in the Bible. His name was Moses, and he knew all about waiting. And he certainly experienced his share of complaining, too. So Moses lived about 1300 B.C., and he lived in Egypt. And he was a member of the royal family, the family of Pharaoh. Okay? And also living in Egypt in this time was God's people, the Israelites. Except they weren't living there as citizens. They were living there as slaves. In fact, they had been slaves there for over 400 years. So they knew something about waiting, too. Well, here's kind of the twist. Moses was actually an Israelite, too. But because he was adopted as a baby, he lived in the palace while his people were slaves. And so he had to watch them suffer and be abused and be mistreated for years and years. And finally, it became too much to him. So he confronted one of the slave drivers that was abusing his slaves, and uh, things got really violent, and he decided to flee into the desert never to come back again. And that was his plan, but... God had other plans, and God started to nudge him to go back to Egypt and to gather his people and to rescue them. Actually, it was more than just a nudge. God commanded him from a burning bush to go to Israel and or go to Egypt and rescue the Israelites. And so that's what he did. He went to Egypt, he confronted Pharaoh, he gathered his people together, and they fled. And God showed up in an amazing way. I mean, he did signs and wonders and miracles and all these amazing things to help the Israelites escape, even to the point that he split a sea down the middle so that they could cross through on dry land. It was amazing. And uh, the Israelites were overjoyed. They were elated. Finally, their 400 years of slavery had ended and they were free. But it didn't take long for them to become impatient. They were stuck in the desert. And uh, God had promised them that he had a new home for them. He had a new home that was amazing. It had all kinds of space and abundant livestock and crops and protection and everything they could ever want. And he called it the promised land. And he gave them this promise, but they weren't there yet. They were in the desert and they were hot and they were tired and they were hungry. Sounds a lot like a road trip with my family. (laughs) And so, despite all that God had done for them, all they did was complain. And they said this to Moses. They said, if only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. 
So God heard their complaints, and he did another great miracle, and literally rained bread down from heaven so they could eat it. So you'd think they'd be grateful, right? Not so much. Once again, they complained and said, Moses, you know, we have bread, but we need meat. Why don't we have any meat? Are you trying to starve us? So God did another miracle, and he brought a vast number of quail into the desert, and they were able to eat meat. So you'd think they'd be grateful, right? But no. Once again, they complained. And they said to Moses, give us water to drink, they demanded. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? So, once again, God did another miracle and caused water to flow out of a rock, and they were able to drink. And what do you think they did? They complained again. And God continued to do miracle after miracle, and they continued to complain and to whine and to grumble. Now, God wasn't lying. He really did have a promised land for them. And to tell you the truth, it wasn't that far away. It was a couple of hundred miles about the distance across Ohio to get there. They could have gotten there in a couple weeks. You want to know how long it took them? Forty years. Forty years of waiting and whining and complaining. So why? Why did God allow them to wait in that wilderness, in that desert, for 40 years? I mean, what could possibly have been gained from all that waiting? Well, you know, a lot of times I think that when we think about the promises of God, those good things that we want, that we hope and we pray for, the job, the ring, the paycheck, the healing, the house, the recovery, we think it's like a gift that God just kind of drops in our lap. You know, it reminds me of that movie, The Hunger Games, if you've seen it. And um, the the players in the game, their friends give them gifts, and they put them on these little parachutes, and they just kind of drop out of the sky and drop right in their lap. But I don't think God's promises are always like that. I think more often his promises are a place, they're a destination. And between us and that promise, there's a journey of waiting. But here's the thing. Faith grows in that waiting. And that's the big idea for today, if you want to write that down, is that faith grows in the waiting. And so if you look, there's kind of a diagram up on the screen there. So there's you or me, and then our promise in the distance. And you can see that the farther away that promise is, the more our faith has an opportunity to grow. And the more steps we take on that journey, the greater we see our faith become. So our faith is able to grow in the waiting. And you know, I think that God actually cares more about us gaining that faith than he does about us gaining the promise itself. Because he knows that that faith has value not only now in this life, but it has value for eternity. One of uh, Jesus' closest friends, his name was Peter, he put it this way. He said that our faith is far more precious than mere gold. You know, God doesn't make us wait because he wants us to suffer. He's not making us wait because he wants to punish us. He allows us to wait because he knows that in that journey of waiting, by the time we reach the end, we'll have built a trust in him that we couldn't get any other way. And that's why he allows us to wait.
You know, when I think of this idea of this journey of waiting, it makes me think of my Aunt Catherine. And uh, there's her right there. And uh, my Aunt Catherine, she is from England. And a long, long time ago, she met my mom's little brother, and they fell in love and got married, and she stole him away to her home country. And so every four or five years ago, or four or five years or so, we would go as a family, and we'd go and visit um, my aunt and uncle. And um, this is the way uh, that I always remembered her. I remember her either in a wheelchair or with a walker. But she also always had a smile on her face. And um, I remember having her having such a deep relationship with Jesus and such a, a love and a faith in him. So um, the reason that my aunt was this way um, was when she was about 14 years old, she woke up one day, thought that she had the flu, just felt awful, but it never really went away. And um, she became completely exhausted, slept almost all the time. She started to lose her memory. She started to get confused. Eventually it got so bad that she had to drop out of school um, where she had been a top student. And so she had ups and downs with this illness for years. Eventually she was diagnosed with something called ME, which is a neurological disorder. And um, not long after she married my uncle, um, she started to get worse, and she had a multitude of other symptoms that came. And one of those symptoms was severe muscle pain. And um, it was so bad that her legs, if she walked for very long, um, they would start to burn, and then they would just go numb, and she would be paralyzed. So she would just kind of scoot along the floor, or she would use a, a walker or a wheelchair. Um, and she'd continue to get worse to the point that she would need help just to get across the room, just to turn on a sink, just to pick up a bag of sugar. She needed help for all of those things. Well, about 15 years ago or so, um, I got a call out of the blue from my mom. And she was just so excited, she could hardly contain herself. And she said, Emily, I have news about your Aunt Catherine. And I said, okay, what is it? And she said, well, she met a new friend uh, named Jen. And she went to visit her and asked her to pray for her. And uh, her friend Jen just prayed a simple prayer, nothing, didn't touch her, nothing theological or anything like that, just a simple prayer that God would heal my Aunt Catherine. Well, when she finished praying, my aunt said she felt something she hadn't felt in 20 years of this illness, a burst of energy. And she stood up, kind of sprang up, and realized she didn't even use her walker to stand up. And then she felt kind of an adjustment in her back, and she knew something was different. Something in her body had changed. And so she walked downstairs to the bathroom, which was a miracle in itself that she could even do that, turned on the sink, which again was something she could never do before, and then she started, like, doing aerobics in the bathroom, like, testing out this new strength that she had. So she went home that night and um, just kind of in disbelief of what had happened. But by the next day, she was literally running in the field behind her house. She had been completely and miraculously healed of over 50 different symptoms. And she's been healed ever since. And it was It was amazing. And uh, so going back to this phone call with my mom, and she had told me all of these things, and my first thought was, wow, that is amazing. God is incredible. I've never heard anything like this. But you know what my second thought was? 20 years? God, really 20 years? Her family and friends had been praying for her since she was 14 years old. And she's just now receiving healing for this. Why did she have to suffer for so long? And I struggled with that for a long time. But what I've learned from my aunt is that in that waiting, waiting for her healing, 
she gained a gift that was so much more valuable even than the healing itself. And she said it this way. She said, Despite my wonderful gift of a physical healing, I do believe that the best gift of all is to receive the peace of Christ. I've experienced good health without his peace and poor health with his peace. And out of the two, his peace is the more precious gift. She learned not to give up, not to complain, but to rejoice in the waiting because you see her faith grew in the waiting. And, you know, not long after she was healed, um, she became pregnant, which is something she had always wanted. And um, sadly, she lost the baby. Since that time, she's had 10 miscarriages. She is right back in the waiting room. But you know what? Despite that, she has joy. She has faith. She has trust in God. And it's because her faith grew in that waiting. And that's the kind of faith and the kind of joy that I want to have. So today, some of you are probably in the waiting room. You might be waiting for a change in a relationship or in your finances, a change in your physical or your mental health. Um, Maybe you have a friend or a family member who you desperately want to know Jesus, but it's been years and nothing has changed. Or maybe God has called you to serve in some great way, but the pieces haven't really come together yet. And you're in the waiting room. So what do you do in that waiting room? How do you allow that time of waiting to become a time of trust? Well, I think that looking at the story of Moses and the Israelites, we can at least tell what not to do. And um, one thing that we should not do is what the Israelites, we've already seen, is that they complained. And many of them gave up altogether and wanted to go back to slavery in Egypt. And so um, your, first, your next fill-in for today um, is to not turn around by complaining. You know, for the Israelites, it was like they were on this journey of waiting, and they came up to a U-turn sign, right? The sign that just said, give up, complain, turn around, and go back. And that's what we want to avoid doing. So uh, how about you? Have you find, found yourself having a negative or a complaining attitude about something that you've been waiting for? I know that I have in many areas of my life. One that comes to mind is, um, is our debt. So Mikey and I have um, a college loan debt that we've had for about 10 years now. And um, we have fought hard against this debt. We put a big portion of our income to pay it off, and we keep a tight budget. We say no to a lot of things. But honestly, sometimes it feels like we haven't even made a dent. And I find myself complaining, complaining to my husband, complaining to my friends, complaining to God. And you know that not one dollar of my debt has been paid by my complaining? How about you? What has complaining ever gotten you? Has it given you money in the bank? Has it uh, given you new relationships? Has it brought your wayward children back home? Complaining is powerless to do any of that, right? But sometimes it seems like the most tempting or the easiest thing to do is to complain. So uh, I mentioned earlier, I have a three-year-old daughter named Autumn, and believe it or not, she's actually even more impatient than I am. And um, a lot of times I hear myself saying, Autumn, be patient, just be patient. And it occurred to me one day that maybe she doesn't know what patience means. I mean, maybe patient, be patient is just what mommy says when I'm not going to get what I want, right? So one day I asked her, Autumn, you know what patience means? And she said, yes. And I said, what does it mean? And she said, I don't know. 
<laughs> Autumn, patience means be happy while you wait. And she said, okay. So now every time I say, Autumn, be patient, what does patient mean? And she says, be happy while you wait. She doesn't always do it, but she knows what it means. Um, and that might seem a little oversimplified, but I think there's so much truth in that little phrase, be happy while you wait. Patience is about rejoicing in the waiting. It's about finding ways to have an attitude of gratefulness in the waiting, whatever that looks like for you. So for me, the way that I do that is I'm a journaler. So I start almost every day the same way. I make a list of things that I'm thankful for, gifts that God has given me, prayers that he's answered. On bad days, it's just thank you that you love me and you forgive me, and maybe nothing else comes to mind. And as a family, we try to be thankful as well. We do something called the thank you game. So um, about once a week or so when we're eating dinner, we'll say, Autumn, what is something red that you're thankful for, something blue that you're thankful for? What's something that happened at preschool that you're thankful for? And then Mikey and I will each take a turn and and say something that we're thankful for. Um, For my husband, he's very musically inclined, and so for him, he shows his gratefulness by worship. So he'll pick up a guitar and just start playing and worshiping God or put on some headphones and listen to some worship uh, music and, and worship God that way. For you, gratefulness might be different. Maybe for you, it's in your conversations with people that instead of dwelling on all these things that haven't happened yet, all these things that you're waiting for, you talk about those things that God has done that are good in your life. Or maybe it's about your thoughts. Maybe you think on all those great things that God has done um, instead of having negative thoughts about um, what you're impatient about. So whatever it is, however you show gratefulness to God and dwell on gratefulness, put that into practice. And as Autumn would say, be happy while you wait. So that's one thing that we can learn what not to do from the Israelites. Another thing that we can learn what not to do is to not stand still. And that's your next fill-in, if you want to write that down, is don't stand still. So for the Israelites, they're on this journey of waiting, and it's like they got stuck in the desert. It's like they came up to a stop sign and just stopped. You know, they knew there was a promised land, but they kind of forgot about it. And they lost motivation because it had taken so long, and they just sort of settled, even though God had this great promise for them. And, you know, if you're waiting for something big and you've been hoping and praying, it can be exhausting. It can be tiring to wait. And it's tempting sometimes to want to give up. You know, one of the things that, um, one of the promises that I've been asking God for for a long time is healing for my husband, Mikey. He has a really bad arthritis. And there's days when it's so bad he can barely walk. And he is literally in pain every single day. And so as long as I've known him, I've prayed for him. And in the past several years, it's been every day praying, God, please heal him of this arthritis. And sometimes it gets tiring. And there's days when I think, God's never going to heal him. I don't know why I keep praying. I don't know why I keep trying. It's never going to happen. But then I remember my aunt and what God did in her life. And I remember what he's done in countless other people's lives. And I pray again, and I believe again, and I ask him again for that healing. And for some of you, maybe you're at that point. You feel like you're done waiting, and you're ready to give up. Maybe uh, you've given up on the idea of ever being married, or of ever adopting a baby, or of your daughter ever coming home, or of your father ever coming to know Jesus. Um, Or whatever it is, you feel like you're at the point of giving up. And if that's you... I want you to remember that waiting is a journey, that God's promises are a destination, 
and that every time you take a step in that direction, your faith is growing. So keep taking those steps. Keep praying. Keep inviting your neighbors to church. Keep applying for jobs. Keep calling your sister. Keep doing whatever it is that God is calling you to do because faith grows in the waiting. So the third thing that I think we can learn not to do from the Israelites is to take a detour on that journey of waiting. So a lot of times, God's ways, God's plan just takes a little bit too long. And we think that, you know, we have our own plan that's this magic shortcut that can get us there a little bit faster because we don't really want to wait on God. And so we miss out on that journey of waiting. And this is exactly what the Israelites did when they were in the desert. So at one, one point, um, God called Moses up to a mountain to kind of have a talk with him. And the rest of the Israelites were just left there on their own. And so pretty soon they got impatient. And um, so they went to Moses' brother, Aaron was his name, and complained to him. And they said this, Come on, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. And when the people saw it, they exclaimed, oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So the Israelites start worshiping a cow made out of earrings. Crazy, right? But how many times in this life do we think that our plans make so much more sense than God's? Right? We think that our magic shortcut is what's going to get us to the promise because God is just taking way too long. You know, you could wait for the promotion or you could fudge the numbers a little and make things happen a little bit faster. Or you could wait for God to provide that for that new car. Or, you, you know, what's a little more debt in the long run? Or you could wait to sleep with your girlfriend or boyfriend until the wedding day, but it's so far away. And your shortcut just seems so much better and so much easier. But when you take that detour, you miss out on that journey of waiting. And your faith grows in the waiting. And so today I want you to think about a couple of questions. First of all, I want you to think about this question. What are you waiting for? What is that thing that you've been hoping and wishing and praying for for a long time that you're waiting for today? Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's a friend to come to know Christ. Maybe it's something completely different. And then I want you to think about this question and maybe even ask God this question. What does God want you to do in the waiting? Maybe he wants you to have an attitude of thankfulness and spend time thanking him every day. Maybe he wants you to take some steps instead of just standing still. He wants you to keep praying for your sister or to call your son or whatever it might be. Maybe he wants you to stop taking a detour and doing it your way and do it his way. Maybe he wants you to honor him with your money, your finances, the way he wants you to do it instead of, instead of your way. So I want you to take a couple minutes to think about those. And there's a place in your program if you want to write down um, anything that comes to mind and uh, we're going to turn the lights off and just give you a few minutes to do that.
the uh, the promise that you've been asking for, it will be fulfilled. It will be answered, but it won't be in this lifetime. For some of you, your healing, your reconciliation, your breakthrough, whatever it might be, it won't come until heaven. And when you do get to heaven, it's going to be fulfilled in such an amazing way that it's just going to blow your socks off. But that's still a hard concept to grasp, that you may not receive that promise while you're here on earth. And I think in difficult times like these, it's, it helps to look at the stories of people that have gone before us. And a great place to look for that is in Hebrews chapter 11. Some people call this the faith chapter. And it's filled with stories of men and women who waited and waited and waited and continued to obey God and continued to trust him and put their faith in him. For example, there's a story of Sarah who waited 90 years to have a child. Or a story of Joseph who waited 13 years to be reconciled to his family. And countless others who waited and and never received that promise in this life, um, but received that promise in heaven. And in Hebrews 11, chapter 13, it says this about them. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all coming from a distance, and they welcomed it. I just can't get over that phrase that says they died still believing. You know, when I think about that phrase, died still believing, it makes me think of my husband's uh, Uncle Joe. Uncle Joe was just an awesome guy. He, uh, my best memory of him was when Mikey and I were newlyweds, and we had saved up some money, and we were planning to go to Ireland for an anniversary trip. And so we were telling Uncle Joe about this, and um, we said, you know, maybe it's kind of irresponsible and expensive, and I don't know, maybe we should wait, and maybe it's not a good idea. And he said, no, you guys got to do this now. He said, there's no opportunity like right now. You're going to have more responsibility in the future, and if you don't do it now, you'll never do it. Go for it. And that was the way Joe lived his life. He lived his life to the fullest, and he was just an amazing guy. And, and that continued to be true even when he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. He continued Um, to live life to the fullest. And every person he met, he would say, God is going to heal me. I know that Jesus can heal me, and I know that he will. And he even had this catchphrase, remission is my mission. And he had t-shirts made up, and he would give them out, remission is my mission. And every person he met, he would tell them about Jesus and and tell them about how God was going to heal him. And um, I just talked to his wife last night, and she said, as his body got weaker, as he went through chemo and lost his hair, the weaker he got, the stronger his faith got. And it got stronger and stronger. And everybody he met, he told them that God was going to heal them, to heal him. And, and Mikey and I, we prayed with every ounce of faith that we had that God would heal him. And he did. He healed him in the most ultimate, incredible way in heaven. And, you know, what I can't get over is that to the very end of his life on earth, he continued to tell people and to believe that God was going to heal him. He truly died still believing. He went to his grave believing that God was able to heal him. And that's the kind of faith that I want to have. I want to be the kind of person that even if I never see Mikey be healed, even if everybody tells me to give up and to stop praying and that it's never going to happen, that I keep believing, I keep trusting, and I go to my grave believing that God is faithful and that he will fulfill his promises to us. That's how I want all of us to be. I want us to be that kind of people, the, the kind of faith that we die still believing, that our faith becomes so strong that it outlives us. 
that we're the kind of people that die still believing. And so today, I think that everybody here is probably waiting for something. And so what I want us to do is to stand up and to join Mikey and Sierra in this song. And as we sing, that we will commit to say we're going to rejoice in the waiting. So please join us. have a relationship with Jesus. He is ready right now. He is willing and excited to welcome you into his arms. 
and to have a relationship with you. And so if you're here today and you feel empty or broken or you just feel like something's missing, that there's something that should be there that's not there, or maybe you've walked with God before but, but you've gotten away and you want to have him back close to you again, then today can be your day. Don't wait. And it's as simple as just talking to God and having a conversation with him. So I want to lead you in a prayer today, and um, I'm going to ask all of you together to repeat after me. And if you're at that point where you're tired of feeling empty um, and broken, then just mean these words in your heart as you say them, and you can begin a relationship with him today. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me and never giving up on me. I'm sorry for the things that I've done wrong. Thank you for giving your life so that I could be forgiven. Today, I commit my life to you. Fill me with your spirit and help me to follow after you. I love you. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer today for the first time or recommitted your life to Christ today, then I want to encourage you to stop by that back corner and Jennifer's there and she would love to give you a gift and a Bible and just pray with you and encourage you. If there's anything else that you'd like prayer for today, our prayer team will be up by the screens here and they'd be happy to do that. And uh, just a reminder, Chris will be back next week. He'll be starting that I Quit series, which is going to be really awesome. So make sure you invite some people and come back. And uh, have a great Sunday. Know that you're loved in this place.